0: I've been uh, sick for about a week, actually, and so my, my voice sounds like a train wreck. And uh, it's, but it's one of those things, you know, you learn a couple of things by being sick. First of all, that um, you are not indispensable. You would think it makes a difference if uh, your pastor or a parish and you miss like Ash Wednesday and the first week of Lent, apparently it doesn't make a difference. <laughs> Church still goes on, life still goes on, right? So the cemeteries are filled with people who are indispensable. Um, okay. But also, I, I kind of knew this thing was coming out, you know? And so it's one of those things that I thought, well, okay, I'll give myself a lot of time to kind of work on this lens and mission in a leisurely sort of way. And all of a sudden, it was like last night, and it's like, boy, I better start working on this lens and mission. <laughs> and so, if you're wondering if it's possible to do a Lenten mission in like a couple hours, we'll find out, right? So, basically, um, in light of this kind of situation of like lens and like being sick and this sort of thing, I was just sort of thinking about life or whatever and a couple of things kind of came to mind just to kind of frame what we're talking about today, right? So uh, the first thing that kind of came to mind is this idea uh, of trust, right? This idea of trust. I remember, uh, you know, being on Instagram a while back and there's always different uh, Instagram influencers. and make these little short videos and whatnot and sometimes they seem more credible if they have an English accent. I don't know what that is, but you know, it's just well was like this guy had like a closely cropped to to beard too. And he was talking about confidence, you know, and he said um, uh, one of the things that kind of gives one confidence is is knowing you can be in a situation where you don't have your A game, you know, but somehow it, it works out. Somehow it works out. And it's one of those things, it's, it's a variation of like how do you go in trust way? But trust though, there's, no, there's no shortcut, right? So once you find out, you can actually be in a situation where you don't have your A game and like, you know, things are going wrong left, right and center. Uh, but somehow, like, the Lord still carries the day. Um, it's a really confidence-building kind of thing, right? And I don't know, it's one of those things, I, I think, as as time has progressed in terms of my uh, journey as a, as a Catholic and as a priest, um, when it comes to these moments where, um, you know, guns aren't all firing and you're not in your A-game, and, like, you're missing this, that, and the other thing, and things are kind of going wrong, I, I kind of, I don't know, it's different. Like, before, I used to kind of, like, worry and panic a lot, but now it's just kind of like, oh, I wonder what the Lord's going to do. <laughs> Great. Cause that's the thing, right? Um built into Jesus' name is like God saves, right? And so like how do how do we give glory to God? You know, you lean on him and and expect him and wait on him to save you. And then all the stories and itself, right? So it's that type of thing. And right? so it's just a important thing for us to kinda of remember going forward, in of whether it's like, you know, this this moment or just going forward in life. Um, there's always gonna be moments where we don't have our A game, but to not worry, to not put the surprise, but to realize, well, that's a precious moment for me to lean on the Lord who remains the Lord and Savior. Then it comes to mind this notion of uh, authenticity, right, and honesty. And so I remember um, listening to a podcast. Uh, I was on YouTube and I just going through different videos and whatnot. And so it's not a, um, it's not a podcast I would necessarily remember, but what stood out was that there was a celebrity on the podcast and he had fallen in hard times. And so basically what happened was, um, he committed this, you know, objective error in life and he was called out for it, and he was publicly shamed and, you know, just given the culture, um, he was uh, basically canceled, you know, so no one wanted to work with him and, and it's sort of thing. And time passed and, and slowly, you know, because God has a family and he has a, wants to make a living and get out of his life, um, he's trying to get back to work or whatever and he was on this podcast kind of talking about this. And what was interesting was that uh, here's this guy, and again, he's been publicly shamed, but he was talking about it, and he said, you know, in a certain sense, um, that was kind of a liberating thing, you know? So just think about all this energy we spend on just like, you know, what people think and how people receive us and like this, that, and the other thing, just to kind of like not worry about that stuff and just to be like sincere and honest and true, you know? In my second parish at uh, St. Larry's at Brampton, it's funny, you know, there's this unspoken, Rule or joke, where like if there's two uh, priests in a parish, the uh, associate pastor tends to do all the weddings, and the pastor does all the funerals. I don't know if you know what right? But for some reason, in was second like parish, it was reversed, so he did all the weddings, and I did all the funerals. And and after a while, um, you know, you get like good at funerals, right? But also, um, it's uh, you learn to appreciate funerals, you know. And it's something you love, eulogies. You know, like you notice even when people come up and they give like the eulogy or words of remembrance, have a one um, They can be like not a professional speaker and like choppy and make all sorts of like tactical mistakes. But if they're true and they're honest and sincere, um, it's it's spellbinding. You know, and and people they know intuitively that's what's required. You know, because like death is in the air. You know, death is in our presence, like literally speaking. You know. And if you can't be honest now, then, like, what are we doing, right? It's interesting, even at in our own Paris Saint James, we, last time we had the first showing of the Mother Teresa documentary, Mother Teresa Nobody No Greater Love, and there's a second showing tonight. Little well, shameless plug. But, uh, you know, if you watch that movie, like, I, I did a reflection on it on Catholic Latte, the podcast, and, uh, but one thing I didn't say in the podcast, because it was hard to articulate, was this idea that, you know, when I watched that movie and I saw Mother Teresa, you know, do her mother Teresa thing you know loving christ and, and serving the poor to the poor um what kind of came to mind was like gosh you know like i, I just I, i'm starting to get a little sick of being fake i'm starting to get a little sick about being fake and then you look at mother Teresa, and what's so attractive is that she's she's honest and true like all the time you know um I, I remember even in the seminary like um father charles Ang, spiritual director for the house um he was talking about bishop Michael sassy and he was uh the bishop for all Hungarians, Austin of Hungary. He's passed away now, but lovely man, you know? And um, I remember Claude Charles was trying to teach us something important about spiritual life. And he phrased it kind of funny, but basically what he said, it goes, um, you know, he had to be like Bishop Mikroszak. He's just like, bleh, <laughs> like what? <laughs> you know? But what he meant when he said, uh, no, it's just like, I don't, I don't care what people think. Like I just stand before the Lord Jesus Christ who, who loves me in spite of myself, and I just do what he wants me to do, to the best of my ability. And, you know, to the Lord, I, I give the increase, right? So a uh, really kind of interesting thing to frame what we're talking about today. So uh, the topic is uh, becoming more receptive to God, becoming more receptive to Christ. And I thought, you know, oh, just to kind of rein things in, because it's funny, like in anticipation of the uh, elective mission, two hours is like a lot, but when you do it, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm just three hours. <laughs> you got to pick some sort of structure to kind of rein yourself in, right? And so um, I thought what I might do is focus on a series of parables that you find in the Gospel of Matthew. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And there are all these different parables dealing with um, the Kingdom of Heaven. The Kingdom of Heaven is like this. The Kingdom of God is like that. And um, the thing I, you know, I want you to notice here is that like, they're all obviously touching the same thing. What is the Kingdom of God like? How to enter more fully into it? But at the same time, there's, there's subtle differences enough to call, kind of uh, justify different stories, different parables. So I guess first of all, just to kind of kick things off, off like to make sure we're on the same page. To think about parables, right? So, what exactly is a parable? What exactly is a parable, right? So, a parable is um, an analogy, an analogy used to explain some spiritual truth using ordinary stuff. That's kind of a simple way to explain a parable, right? So, it's an analogy, a story of sorts that's used to kind of explain some spiritual point, some spiritual principle using ordinary things, everyday stuff. And the question is, why does Jesus speak to the people in parables? I think, first of all, we need to look at the gospel, and right? So, um, you know, the Lord talks about, just to kind of paraphrase, you know, people see what they don't see, and they hear what they don't hear, you know? And it sounds kind of cryptic until you kind of stop for a moment and you examine your own experience, and you realize, oh, gosh, that is absolutely true. That is absolutely true. I, I'm, I'm sure you've experienced this multiple times throughout the course of your life, but if you haven't, uh, we'll talk afterwards because it's a problem. But, uh, you know, you go through life, you know, and, and all of a sudden, like, something occurs to you, which is like, wow, I, I can't believe, it's two things, right? I can't believe i never noticed that before. And I'm completely embarrassed that I didn't see that before. You ever been there, right? So it's a relatively relatable thing, right? So it's a variation of, like, I see it. Like, it's right in front of my face. I see it, but I don't see it. I hear it, but I don't hear it. I'll give you, like, a stupid but memorable example, because that's all I got here. But to, <laughs> to think about um, the Rocky series, you know? So when you're, like, a kid, you just remember, like, the Rocky movies for, like, Who Rocky Fights, right? So like Rocky 1 and 2, oh, Paul Creed. And Rocket 3, Mr. T. And Rocket 4, it's uh, the Russian. And Rocky 5, who cares, right? <laughs> so, there's this whole thing. I remember like, watching Rocky 3 as a young boy in the 80s and thinking like, yeah, okay, Mr. T and stuff and Hulk Hogan, and Thunderlips and whatever. And uh, it's only later that when I was older, I, I kind of realized what that, what that movie was all about, about, right? Because uh, a key uh, plot twist or a key plot point, I suppose, is that basically, um, you know, Mickey, after seeing his protege, uh, Rocky, win the championship belt with Rocky II, he, he sets him up with a bunch of pansies, you know, just to make sure he can hold on to the title for as long as he can and not get hurt and whatever. And then suddenly, Rocky finds out. And as a result, he loses confidence because then it's like, well, okay, was I ever really the champion? I didn't realize that you, in a sudden way, didn't really believe in me. And you kind of send me up with these different people and the guys that I don't want to be heard, but like, yeah, what, if you don't believe in me, like, should I believe in myself or whatever? And that's what sets up the first fall to Mr. T, right? But once you realize that, it's like, wow, like the whole movie takes on a whole different kind of significance, right? Um, but yeah, it's this whole principle, right, just, um, you know, seeing without seeing, hearing without hearing. And so what does the Lord do with that? What the Lord does is that He leads with the beautiful. He leads with the beautiful. Bishop Robert Barron talks about this, right? So. You know, in terms of, like, a religious dialogue or evangelization, you think you have a choice, right? The three great transcendentals, the good, the true, and the beautiful. And what do I lead with? And so he says, if you lead with the truth, this is what you're supposed to think, people tend to get their backs out. If you lead with the good, here's what you're supposed to do, again, people tend to get offended. But if you lead with the beautiful, it's like, look, just look at this beautiful thing, just take in this thing, think what you will, feel what you may, right? As a non-threatening move. But the interesting thing about the parables is that they're beautiful, but they're provocative. And so it's an interesting thing. When, when you see any sort of story, or you hear any sort of story, it's, it's co-creative. It's a term we don't use very often, but it's very instructive, right? So as, as I'm telling you, for example, a story, you actually have to listen to it. And so we're kind of creating it together, right? And, and that's why it's a really kind of useful thing. So we're currently in the Gospel. Jesus will be talking to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he will be using rhetoric. And you know, low two and misnat the other, and then trying to argue them to a stance of um, of conversion or epiphany, whatever. And uh, you know, after a while, he takes a bit of a break. and He's like, "Oh, went to a parable," right? and so it's, it's kind of funny the way you look at it. Like they're arguing back and forth, back and forth. Rabbi and Rabbi Nat, and all of a sudden he's like, "Oh, uh, let me tell you a story." Oh, story time, right? And they think I think he's changing the subject, but he's not. It's a variation of the same theme. And because of this co creative aspect when it comes to storytelling, right, like they're following a the story, they're like, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, And when it gets to the conclusion, they're like, Yeah, the conclusion's obviously this. And they're like, wait a minute, but the character nestor that's us. Right? <laughs> and so it's a subtle way to kinda of get in there, right? Um, similar thing with us, you know? So again, they go back to the Major Teresa movie, like something that's, that's I think almost universal when people watch that movie, is that um, it stays a few. It stays a few, but also people don't know exactly why. It's kind of interesting, right? It stays with you, but you don't know exactly why. Like, certain scenes come to mind at certain beginnings of certain thoughts. But to watch a movie like that, which is like, you know, almost being immersed fully into the life of this saint, right? And then to leave and say, okay, well, clearly I felt this for this reason. It's almost being dishonest. Because there's a profound character of just Mother Teresa as a person and it's like, again, it's relentless throughout this movie. And you're watching it, you're seeing what people say about her and stuff. And it necessarily just kind of takes time for that stuff to come to the surface and, and to kind of make sense of it. Um, and that's what you notice in the parables as well. Like in the series of seven parables, right, there's um, uh, two parables which the Lord explains. One's a parable, of the sower there is a parable, of the ways and the wheat. But he doesn't explain the thing right away. It's kind of interesting. There's like the parable, and he talks about other stuff. And then there's the explanation. And you say, Cunt. that's weird. Like Why is that, right? And the Lord is saying something about like just the way that we introduce a moment of discipleship. Like it's it's never a thing like um, you know just sit down and I'll just we'll just hammer this thing out. I'll tell you all the you know prerequisites for discipleship. What it means to be a person of love. What it means to be a Catholic. And we're done. Like five hour class later. Like it's not how it works. There's always this thing where like here okay, right now you receive this one thing. And you think about it, you pray into it and, and you wait you ponder you live your life you work you play you spend time with friends if you have difficulty. And then, okay, you come back, and then somehow you have a deeper understanding because in the intervening time, you're different, right? That's why it's interesting. Like, I, I'll, I'll share with you a little thing. Don't tell anyone. But uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll get anomalies, and I'll say, like, oh, you know, way back when there's this thing that happened. And it's not exactly true. A lot of times it's like this thing that happened, like, yesterday <laughs> or this thing which happened, like, earlier in the day. And that's how it works. Like, in real time, as you're wrestling with things, it's like, Frustrations and pain and suffering and like illness, you whatever. Know, um, through that, the Lord is, is doing His thing and shaping your heart, and, and through that, you become more open to understanding the divine things. Okay. Another reason why the Lord uses parables is that um, it's His love language, you know. So you think about, okay, how's the Father want to communicate His love to the world? It's through His only begotten the Son, right? So, okay, like you know, in Christ is the fullness of everything the Father has ever wanted to speak to us. And so it's like, okay, like, well, what do I want to say to you? Um, I show you. I don't just tell you. I show you. Here is my son. Listen to him. and lie in his presence? Listen to his words. You know, linger in his holy presence and, and thereby be changed, right? So it's a, it's a common theme. Like, it's incarnational, right? So I don't just tell you things in the abstract. I, I show you and allow yourself to be immersed in, in that which is concrete and earthly. The other thing, too, just to kind of flow from that, because it's, it's a love language, right, it's like, it can't be, like, reducible to any kind of one thing. Like, sometimes we look at the parables almost like um, fables, you know? The moral of the story is this, and it's never that. It's like conversion, right? Conversion is never like a one-time thing. That's why, you know, if you ever come up with me for longer, like, two seconds, you know, one of my pet peeves is when people are like, uh, oh, a long time ago I had this conversion experience, and before it was this, and now I'm that. And one day, if you try hard, you could be that too. And it's like, oh my gosh, can we not, right? So, like, conversion is meant to be this ongoing thing. Otherwise, it's a variation of, like, I see, but I do see, I hear, but I don't hear, right? Um, that's why, for example, we look at, like, St. Peter, right, like, he's he shocked that after having journeyed with Christ for three years, he's still capable of sin. And it's like, are you kidding me? Three years? we talking about lifetime. Like, you're always capable of it, right? So to not be shocked, to not be scandalized, but to always be open. Because what is it actually the kingdom of God? The parables deal with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is is Jesus Himself. And so what the Lord is doing, he, he's showing us the like, cure here are my ways, here are the inner secrets of my heart, and here's how to enter into the intimacy that I have with God the Father. And and so by virtue of the thing itself that's meant to be conveyed, it can't be reducible to like the moral story is this as opposed to that. Okay. Now, in terms of the parables themselves, well, well that's a preamble. We are going to be three hours, but that's good. Great. Right. So there's like seven parables, right? So um, you can break it down. So the first four have to do with growth, right? How do I grow in terms of my receptivity of, of the kingdom of God? And the last three have sort of an all-or-nothing kind of vibe to it, right? So like once I realize what I'm in the present self, i got to choose it all. There was no room for kind of halfway or willy-nilly or whatever, right? So, just to further break it down, the first two are like uh, the parable of the sower and the parable of the weeds and the wheat. The parable of the sower and the weeds and the wheat, basically, the whole idea there is that um, how do I become specifically um, more receptive to God's word, right? So, it's, it's focusing on, on the nature of growth. Next to um, mustard seed, parable of the mustard seed and the parable of the leavened bread, the emphasis there is on smallness. You know, so where does the kingdom of God come from? It comes through small things. The next two, parable of the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. So these are things which are hidden. They're hidden for a period of time, but they're discovered with great joy. And again, you sell out the kind of like embrace the force and the thing that you've discovered, the treasure of the pearl. And then finally, there's the seventh parable, the parable of, of like the nets, right? And so that's the Oxygen image of like the final judgment. Okay. Yeah, just to walk you through these things one at a time. The parable of the sower. And right? so pretty easy story. There's a sower. Well, obviously, it's the Lord. And he sows the seed, which is the God's word, or his grace, however you want to frame it. And he's sowing it um, liberally, you know. So apparently in ancient Palestine, um, this was a common practice, where you would sow the seed even before the land is plowed. You would sow the seed even before the land is plowed. So obviously, the land's in a place which is not eventually plowed as seed will not bear fruits and so it speaks to like the generosity and, and the liberal nature of like you know God's love and his heart and his gifts of this, right? but also this idea that you know he doesn't knowing full well that there's a possibility that I might not bear fruits but so be it I, I sow anyways and I constantly sow I never give up that's why incidentally there's this pattern throughout the course of these uh, seven parables you know the Lord would say um, you know, and yet let me tell you another parable what the Kingdom of God is like this, and that, whatever, so it's, it's, you get the vibe. it's like this tireless thing, I will never give up on you, in terms of like, you know, showering upon your grace, my grace, my love, leading you to new life, and conversion of heart, all these different things, okay. So, even without that a lot, like to kind of think about that, okay, here's the sower, he's sowing the seed, and so therefore, like, I'm not the sower, I'm not called to sow the seed, like it comes. That alone is, is a really kind of impactful thing, right? Just so a lot of times we think of the spiritual life, like I talk about this supply my parish all the time. You know, the image of like your relationship with God, you know. So a lot of times, that working image of God is like, yeah, oh God is out there in heaven, it's like oh so so far away, and I need to build a spiritual rocket ship or solve a spiritual algorithm to like get to the Lord, right? But it's not that. It's um, it's Advent spirituality, right? They're already, but they're not yet. So here's the Lord who is, like, showering upon me, all sorts of grace and love, opportunity and whatever, and, and the question is not so much, you know, is the Lord here, is it showering grace upon me, because that's, that's happening, like, all the time, you know, we're seeing, we're not seeing, hearing, we're not hearing, the question is, like, are we receptive to that potentially transformative of grace? And you know, what the Lord does is that he emphasizes, like, three things that you're going to do, as emphasized by the path and the uh, rocky ground and the forest, okay? So the thing about the path, right? So the path. The path, the key to understanding the path is that the path used to be this, the, the fertile soil. The path used to be the fertile soil. So before it had the capacity to bear an yeah. abundance of fruits, and now it's become the path. And what happened to make it become the path? It Does take a lot of imagination, right? So imagine if like there's a lush garden, and how's it become like hard and, and like you know, impervious to growth, right? Like, people are allowed to travel through the garden. People are allowed to trample through the garden. People are allowed to just walk through that willy-nilly, right? Um, and so it, it's a subtle point. That's why it's hard to kind of explain the notion of the path, right? The idea that um, you're not meant to kind of expose your heart to everything. It's very important that you actually guard your heart against most of the things in this world you know, I, I remember listening to a podcast recently where this, this guy was talking about, uh, he, you know, kind of like as it's gotten older, involved in hard times, what like life lessons weren't, and the when he phrased it, it's so interesting, he's like, you know, I used to look at like my private self and my public self and think to myself, well, the whole goal is to bridge the gap, such that, you know, I'm the exact same person all the time, and it's true in a service sense, like Saint Francis of Sales talks about that, right? So, like, um, you want to have integrity. So I'm not like it's not like my false self versus my, my true self, right? But at the same time, like there's something very beautiful and precious and holy about retaining the innermost secrets of your heart for the Lord, or the innermost part of yourself for the Lord. There's this great uh, line from the movie Gladiator uh, by Russell Crowe. It's a loose paraphrase, but basically, uh, he's about to go home to his wife and kid, you know, and uh, he's talking to his Phil Centurion. And it's like, oh, so what are you gonna do when you get home? And it's like, well, to my horses I will say this, to my son I'll say that, and to my wife, it's her business. <laughs> there's something about that, right? But here's the other thing, there's, there's an extra level. So there's my private life with my family, man, and friends, but then, like, there's the next level, my hidden life with the Lord. And the idea is that, okay, like, that's, that's my true self. And I got to spend a lot of time there reminding myself of who I am and who the Lord wants me to be at how I'm cherished and adored or whatever. And then, okay, once I'm solid on that, then I go forth and go forth into the world, you know? But just to kind of think about, we spend almost no time on the hidden life, right? But it's one of those things, even just to think about conceptually, right? Like, you know, it's one of those things like uh, it's almost like the, um, uh, the road to a man's, right? You know, like I know like, your hearts are kind of burning within you. It's one of those things, it doesn't, it doesn't reek of obligation, it's like, it's actually where we're dying to go. Even think about conceptually, like, okay, like, the Lord calls you to spend copious amounts of time, your hidden self, in intimacy with Him. Like, it's very important that you do that, right? And like, the world, and the mission, and like, the public thing, like, don't worry, like, that'll take care of itself. It's, you focus on this, focus on the primacy of a being as supposed to do, and the doing will take care of itself. Okay. Now, um, looking at the next thing, the whole thing about the, the rocky grounds, right? So, it's interesting. it's all the language here, right? So, what the Lord says in the Gospel is that, this is it a seed where um, it doesn't have roots. It doesn't have roots. And so, there's the initial sense of joy, but then when, when things get hard, um, the thing is, kind of falls away, right? So again, you want to be careful not to, to be reductive here, right? So, it's not simply fear of suffering. It's not simply fear of suffering, it's a little more than that, right? So, perhaps a better way to look at it is that it's, it's an inclination to be superficial when it comes to our practice of the faith. I mean, it ties into with suffering, we'll get to that in a sec, right? But basically, the, the main point here is that I'm being superficial when it comes to my practice of the faith. That's what the wording's important, right? So, there's an initial joy, but when things get tough, they fall away. It's one of these things, like the Gospel presented appropriately correctly, is amazing, you know? Um, because it's authentically good and true and beautiful. And these touch on, like, the things that we long for, right? That's why you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, when we look at um, the way the gospel is presented a lot of times and it seems boring, it's not the gospel's fault. It's people's fault. <laughs> um, because, again, when the gospel is presented correctly, it's it's, it's it, it burns the heart and it's incredible and it stirs you to greater things, right? And it's, yeah, it's the way it's supposed to go. And so, if it's presented appropriate, appropriately, received appropriately, there's an initial kind of stirring of like, wow, this is beautiful, this is neat, this is cool, right? But a lot of times what happens is that people stay there, you know? People stay there and they're like, okay, I'm, now I'm just looking for like the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. It could be like overt, you know, I'm looking for like the next spiritual high so will go to like the next retreat or the next like rally or whatever. Or it could be like really subtle. I'm looking for like that nice little quote on social media, which I'm like, oh, that's kinda of cool, right? But, like, what we wanna look for is correspondence to God's will. So, obedience to God's will, like, you know, and it's, it's funny, like, you can spend all your days being enamored with religion and the good and the true and good things, contextualized in religion, but at the same time not really have the sense of, like, I really want to do God's will, you need to means a certain kind of dying to oneself, right? And the real test is what happens when things get tough, do I fall away simply because of, there's not that immediate sense of joy. Now just to think about the image of roots right? So the idea is that, okay, like if I have roots, that means I, I've taken the time to, to really own this thing. So something that I, I don't simply love but it made it a part of me. And because it's a part of me I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna reject it for some kind of passive fad. This is one thing I, I always suggest to young people, but like, I don't know, it's just it's a, it's a tough concept for some reason. just the way that pedagogy works, right? And you really go like, it's understandable. It's like, okay, I do this and that because, I don't know, my parents tell me so, right? My parents tell me this is right, this is wrong, this is true, this is false. Do this or else. And they never clarify what the else is. You know, but you're afraid. Um, but eventually, I get to the point where like, I do this thing because I recognize, I recognize it's true. I do this thing because I recognize that's true and it corresponds to the person I wanna be. And that's spiritual maturity. If it stays on a level like I do this thing because of a immediate sense of joy or because my parents tell me to, or because of like the church or fear or whatever, like okay, fine I suppose, but like you will never reach the full joy of, of, of the discipleship in the Lord. So next image is just this idea of, of the forts, right? So the way it's worded, right? It's um It's cares of the world and the deceits of riches. So again, it's all about the wording, right? So the cares of the world and the deceit of riches. And these things, they choke the word, right? So like the word mammon, right? It's it's not not simply money. It's like anything less than God, anything less than God that is is mammon, right? So um, even the psychological noise, in the back of my mind can be like an idol. It sounds weird, but um, you see that, for example, in the parable of the, uh, um, the wedding feast, I think, you know, Where's this whole they're invited to the wedding, remember that, and then like, uh, you know, initially they say, no, we're busy with stuff, and then finally like, they kill the messengers, and you think, well, that seems excessive, you know? Why well, just send out the RC card, checked off, no, right? But it, it touches on something really kind of important, right? So like, what am I, what am I possessive of? I'm possessive of, of my busyness. I'm possessive of my busyness, like I, I have to be busy. Not because the Lord calls me to do it. I, mean, I, might, I might even be good at doing like good and noble things. Like I'm busy at work, and I could rationalize it by saying I'm providing for my family, or I'm busy with whatever. But at the same time, I could be guilty of being a spiritual sloth. I'm not really attending to those things the Lord wants me to do, even though I'm, I'm busy, right? So even that could be an idol. At the same time, just to kind of flip the other side, right? So it's, it's love of riches, love of money. So just, just having stuff is not a bad thing. It's, it's like, where's my heart? Was there a sense of undue attachments or something disordered there, right? So that's something to be aware of. The second thing, again, is like uh, deceit, right? So the deceit factor. The thing about deceit is that it's like, it doesn't apply um, I had malicious intent. I don't know how, I'm sure you've heard it yourself. How many times like are people like they're defensive or resistant to um correction? Like not just like the call of conversion, but just like, hey, you're doing this particular thing wrong because it's like well, you know, who are you to tell me this because I'm a good person? And you could break that down in different ways, but I think a more law mean is that um I don't have malicious intents. I start off each day trying to do good things, and I'm trying to like pillage and rob banks and whatnot. I don't have malicious intent. And so therefore, a good person, right? It's a skewed idea of what the Lord actually wants for us, right? The only reason why God hates sin is because sin is bad for you. The only reason why God hates sin is because sin is bad for you. And so the idea, like rather than like, okay, like here are these spiritual landmines, don't step on them, otherwise you're going to go to hell forever and ever, right? This idea of like, okay, here's the Lord, He invites you to participate fully in His blessed life, the fullness of peace, and joy, and all these different things, all these things that correspond with the desires of human hearts, right? In order to do that, you got to say no to certain things and yes out of the focus. And will you do this with me? Because in a certain sense, if you don't, then it's weird. I want you to be more happy than you want that for yourself, which is a weird place to be in, right? So that's just being kind of conveyed here. And, you know, for for people to kind of like not correspond to imitation because, you know, I'm a good person. Well, no, again, it's a skewed notion of what the world life is all about. Like, the Lord wants you to be happy and share in the folds of life, right? So forget about questions of intent. Okay, this is something that's holding me back in that, that I need to kind of more fully correspond to appropriate choices. So that's, that's a parable of the sower. Next parable is the parable of the weeds and the wheat, right? So, it's another one of those stories again. It. it sounds um, simple, but uh, a lot to it. So, um, there's a, a field, and uh, there is a master, you know, the a field, and there's workers in the field, and they sow all this wheat, you know, and the, they sow the seed and it comes wheat and they also of go to bed, and wake up the next morning, oh my goodness, there's weeds and lumps the weeds. And then they turn to the Master, what are we going to do? Hey, I know Master, um, because there's weeds and they're no good, we'll go in there, we'll do it on your behalf and just uproot these weeds, and, you know, that'll be that. And the Lord says no. He's not surprised and then he says no, wait until the hardest, you know, lest you. Damage the weeds. Okay. Now a couple of things, right? It's the master's field, like you know the devil. He he can't in his own field. Like it's like the master's field, right? So the master obviously is God. Field is the world, right? And the wheat is obviously the kind of the main thing. And what's the devil's thing? It's it's to it's to corrupt and destroy. You know, like it's the classical definition of evil. Right? Evil is like the privation of a good. So it's the absence of something which should be there, right? And that's kind of important to know, right? So, okay, what's the devil's game uh, to corrupt the goodness in us or to corrupt the, the growth of goodness and holiness in us? So there's, there's that. But the other thing I should be kind of consoling is that, um, you know, it's not so much a yin and yang thing. It's not so much like, okay, well, you know, here's the Lord and here's the devil and they're equal opposite powers. So it's not that. There's one God and he's good. And here's the devil, and he's trying to corrupt whatever, but ultimately it's the Lord's field. Okay, so there's that. The devil also comes in the darkness. The devil also comes in the darkness. St. Ignatius has this little thing where he says, you know, um, there's this recurring temptation to kind of keep things hidden, you know? And sometimes even the simple act of bringing something into the light is is enough to dispel the darkness. And so you think about, for example, when it comes to the of Confession, right? So Um, You name your sin, right? That's why I always think about confession in terms of like uh, the exorcism right, you know? So you've probably seen exorcism movies where like an important prerequisite to the casting out of the demon is that you figure out the name of the demon. Okay, once you figure out the name of the demon, okay, the name of Christ, I I cast you out. Similar thing here, like I was hanging out with some friends the other day, and um, we were talking about, you know, people on their own kind of respective spiritual journey. And I was just talking about um, young people, you know, and how a lot of young people they're just struggling with, uh, you know, sense of despair. Actually, it's not an easy way to put it, right? And um, and so the question was asked, okay, what's what's one way, what's one way forward? And obviously, you, you don't want to be overly simplistic or reductive. Like everyone's story is, you know, specific and unique to them, right? But um, what thing that kind of came to mind when we kind of brought this up in the context of that particular conversation was that. Um, I, I always try to encourage uh, young know, people, like after developing a relationship of trust, and, you know, whatever, and so, you know, like you feel safe, right, um, to kind of, like, name the thing that you don't want to name, you know, and it's kind of a funny thing, like, even in a and confession, when it's like, you know, you know, you don't know the person, and it's like, behind the grill, um, mm-hmm. and like, a person is confessing, if, if it's funny, if the penitent has the wherewithal to, like, name all the you know, terrible truths about themselves or their situation, which they think is kind of destroyed them. It's actually the most liberating thing. Like, for them, that also, like, I gotta tell you, as the confessor on the other side, like, it's so honest. When a particular thought is like, from the Good Shepherd as opposed to to, from Satan. And so when when people name these things, and I get it, we've all been there, right? Like, there's a reason why these, these particular thoughts and temptations have a certain hold. Like they feel real, especially associated with like physical, psychological, mental pain, right? So it feels real, therefore it must be real. Therefore I gave in to these these lies, basically. But the moment you bring them out, you realize oh gosh, like it's there's actually nothing to it. And maybe you need like, you know, Christ meaning his his presence and his truth through another person, but the idea is to, to not be alone with those lies, those 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 fictions, right? The the reality is there's nothing if it's separate from the love of Christ, but it's one of those things that it's hard for us to kind of get there by ourselves in terms of the abstraction of our fronts. So what we need, it's another a variation of God's incarnational love. Like we need to kind of bring these things out in the presence of people that we trust. And there's a lot that we have confidence, right? So a really important thing, don't stay in the darkness, right? The other thing that comes to mind as well that was this parable, again, I just kind of mentioned it. Um, the idea that um, the master is, is not surprised. The master is not surprised. I mentioned in passing about the, the episode of the Last Supper with St. Peter, right? So, you know, St. Peter's surprised, right? So I'm surprised, like, I'm still capable of sin, even though I've dreamed of the Lord for, for three years. And it's like, boy, you totally lack awareness, right? But here's this thing, right? So um, everyone wants to be St. Peter at the Last Supper. You know, Lord, if you all these losers deny you, I'll never deny you. I'm strong and powerful and holy, right? And of course you call me to the First Code. Why not? I'm amazing, right? And then in the aftermath of his sin, that's the interesting thing, in the aftermath of his sin, he thinks, oh my goodness, he's going to take away the mantle of leadership. He's not going to call me to be his friend. He's going to say, get away from me, you hypocrites. And that's going to end of that, and all the old promises will not apply. And to his shock, and to his surprise, all the old promises still apply. And in fact, he's actually confirmed his vocation, because before, what are you doing? You know, you're just preaching the good news in terms of something that you need, but I don't because I'm amazing, right? The gospel always has to be intensely personal, right? And like, okay, now, in the aftermath of your sin, reconciliation with me through my blood, I know that you own this now, right? So the whole, like, you know, love others as, as I've loved you, you've been merciful to others as I've been merciful to you, that's no longer a the theory. Right? You know it in your bones, right? And so before, if I if I gave in the self leadership, you know, in the aftermath of the Last Supper, what kind of Pope would you have been? You would have been arrogant and cruel and mean to these people. But now, I know you'll be tender. I know you'll be kind. I know that the way you'll bring people back to to me is, is through the means that, which are appropriate, right? Because, again, you feel the gospel in your bones. And it's a really consoling thing for us, right? Because it means that um, our vocation, not just our vocation in terms of, like, I'm called to be a priest or, like, a married person or whatever, right? Our vocation in terms of, like, holiness and intimacy and closeness with the Lord Jesus Christ is not a reward for, for good behavior. It's really important to know that, right? So the call to holiness and the call to be, like, with the Lord, happy and healthy and, you know, forever and ever and ever, it's not a reward for good behavior, right? And so that's why it's, your spiritual math is off, wherever it's like, I committed, like, this sin or this series of sin, like, no matter what it is, right? and to say, oh, therefore, I have every right to feel despondent and despair in God's love for me. It's not a reward for good behavior. And Peter needed to learn that, and a lot of us need to learn that as well. Okay. Um, Now, in terms of, like, the uprooting thing, right? So the Lord says, don't uproot the weeds. And there's multiple reasons, right? So the the thing he says in the parable, of course, is that if you do that, you might damage the wheat as well, right? So the idea of of the two things kind of uh, being intertwined, as many of you know, a long time ago, I wanted to be a filmmaker, and honestly, uh, it changed my mind. And uh, I remember a long time ago, I wanted to make a, a film based on this thing that I saw, like, on the news. And uh, it, was, it was kind of like a reverse engineering thing, where you see, like, the end of the story, and you think, okay, like, this is where I want people to get to. And then how do we, how do we get there? And then that becomes the story. Anyways, I remember um, I, was, um, I, was, I was working as a lawyer in Toronto. And I was, uh, you know, on, on the treadmill or, like, watching this thing, on this uh, news channel. And they were talking about a, uh, a sentencing hearing. Um, so I don't know if you know what that is, but basically like, you know, someone is sentenced um, in terms of like, a crime that he's already been convicted for, right? So this was a situation where um, there was a, a serial killer, I think, and he killed multiple people, and he was tried and convicted for it, so you're a, con- you're a convicted serial killer. And now there's simply, the sentencing hearing where we have all these different witness impact statements, people like victims and um, families of the victims to kind of talk about like how your actions have you know unduly affected like their lives. And then based on that, and based on the judge's judgment, I issue a sentence, right? And so as we expected, there was all these these people, um, you know, families of the victims were just hating this guy. Um, And so like, you, you're a monster, you did this, you did that, and like we'll hate you forever or whatever." So they hated him. and You can see that he hated them right back, and so just like a lot of negativity and hatred in the air. And then finally, uh, and this one guy stood up, and he was a um, father one of the victims. And uh, he said, you know, today, today you make it very difficult to be a Christian. But that said, um the thing I want you to know is that I forgive you. And then, uh, and then the, the guy was on trial, or uh, he was, he started crying, and whatever. And, and uh, you can imagine how hard it was for the guy making that statement. Yeah. And uh, I was, I always wanted to turn that into a movie. But the reason why is because I, I thought it would be cool to like have a movie where it's all about the uh, the daughter of, of the father, where like the whole time, like you know, she's thinking, like, okay, you know, I want to. I want to make a, a difference. I want to make a difference in people's lives and, and, and have my life mean something, but maybe she has it set later on things. So I want to be an influencer on social media. I maybe mean, I want a particular job or like whatever. And uh, yeah, I, I just imagine the movie playing out so that like she would fail in all those endeavors. And then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, she'd be killed by this guy, you know. But in terms of like what the effect happens, you know, the, the end effect, it's like, okay, so she's fine, you know. So, like, you know, dies at the appropriate time, you know, God's mercy and whatnot. Um, the father, perhaps, is moved to a stance of conversion or repentance. And this guy um, says we're moved to a stance of conversion or repentance as well, right? So what's the effect It's like, in terms of, like, spiritual life, spiritual realities? Like, that's what that ultimately counts, quite apart from, like, you know, worldly riches or, like, even death, right? But it's a, it's a long uh, example to illustrate that point. Like sometimes you just got to let things kind of play out, right? So a lot of times we look at life and just we judge it like immediately, like this situation is bad because You know, there's evil and corruption, like suffering and death, whatever. But like sometimes it's like, no, like you got to let things play out and in, in a way that this parable um, kind of illustrates. The other thing is kind of applied as well. It's not, it's not to say it explicitly in parable, but it's there all the same. This idea that because the master commands both uh, the weeds and the wheat to kind of coexist over a period of time, there's an implied deep sense of trust. There's an implied deep sense of trust that even though it's difficult and even though it's challenging and painful, the wheat will win out. It's like the power of the, of the wheat to thrive and flourish is stronger than the capacity of the wheat to destroy it. You see that, for example, with the, uh, the parable of the talents, you know, where, like, the master gives out these different guys different amounts of talents. And, uh, you know, the one talent is of $1.6 million. So they'll, they'll cry for the guy, well, he gets one talent, but he's doing okay. And it's, like, you know, times, like, what, like, times five and ten, I think, whatever. You remember what happens to, like, the right? He's, he buries it in the ground, you know? He buries his talent in the ground, where he's He's chastised for it, right? It yeah, it's one of those things, right? Like, okay, um, the guy who gets the one tout, he discerns correctly that implied in this gift is a deep sense of trust. So the master gives him the tout and then leaves. I'm going to come back, but like I'm not going to tell you when. I don't give you prior instructions. I just trust that. I trust that you're going to use this money responsibly, but also I trust it in you as a person. And then the idea is that The failure of the third guy in that story is that he doesn't he doesn't trust his master's trusting him. That's the point. It's a funny thing. One of the great spiritual maxims I learned a long time ago from my spiritual hereafter. You know, we hear this thing, right? Like, okay, do I trust in God or do I trust in myself? But in reality, it's like deep trust in yourself and deep trust in God are both one and the same thing. It sounds weird. It's just like, okay, when I find myself just almost being suffocated by like the wickedness and snares of an evil in this world. To think back to that, like the Lord trusts and believes in my capacity to grow and trust of that power is greater than the power of evil to destroy the work that God is doing in my heart. Even though I don't know exactly how it's going to play out, that should give me like tremendous confidence. And going back to the parable of talents, like like what you can't do, you can't, you can't bury your talent in the ground simply because I don't believe or I'll have faith in God's trust in me, right, so really important. Last thing that the Lord mentions in this parable, right, it's like well actually doesn't mention it but it's implied. The reason why you don't want to uproot the weeds prematurely, it's kinda of funny, let's see if I say this right. Anyways, the idea is that I think the weeds in the early stages kind of look like the weed. And so if you have good will and you want to uproot all the weeds, you might Uproot the weed because you think it's the weeds. That's the point, right? And how we'll often are really we like that with ourselves? You know. So, again, like I, I remember uh, years ago, I was uh, attending a um, a funeral, and uh, I wasn't presiding; I was just like merely a guest. And um, it was uh, the, the funeral of this priest. He used to help us out a lot. And I remember um, his his religious superior was was giving the eulogy. And he was talking about this guy, right? And he said, um, what can I say about this, about this priest? Um, he was he was brilliant. Uh, he had a PhD. He was uh, a gardener, um, very thoughtful of people who would come to our community for retreat experiences. And so he'd be really deliberate about, you know, kind of implicitly creating different sections of the garden for people to you know, walk through as they a, as a, like meditated or said the rosary or whatever. Um, at the same time, Terrible communicator and like messiest, whatnot, not, you know. and, and try as he might, you know, here's this guy of like deep desire, holy desires, obviously being a priest, brilliant guy. And just to mention that, but he, he would try to communicate to people something about his, his inner life, but because he was a bad communicator, like people were currently be like, they would misunderstand him or simply be bored in his presence. And even though he tried to work on that, he he died never having resolved that thing, you know. And the point of that particular holiday was like, okay, like you know, okay. There's a lot of things we all die kind of incomplete in incomplete states, and so we give our our, own, our kind of unrealized dreams and hopes and desires to the Lord, who makes all things new in the folds of time, right? But as it applies to our situation here, like I remember hearing that that eulogy, and it's like um, it's funny that you don't hear a lot of eulogies like that. And yet, there's a reason why it's so captivating, because it's like, it's real, you know? It's completely real, like like when you think about well, who we are and the complexity of our our struggles or hopes yeah. or desires and fears or whatever, it's like, it's there. But so often, we, we oversimplify things. You know, Bob is good. Jane is boring. <laughs> like, you know, Chris is smart. It's like, what, you know? Everyone's like that priest where it's just like, okay, here are these things which I'm really good at. Here's things which I really struggle with. And here are things about me which are almost fully realized and there are things which are, you know, I got to trust in the Lord, right? And that's life, and that's life. But what happens, and this is what the Lord's getting at here, um, Mm -hmm. when we kind of prematurely try to make judgments about ourselves and other people because we want to have this false sense of security, there's something kind of weird and unholy about that, right? That's why it's kind of interesting, like, even going back to that thing where people will say, like, oh, like, I'm a good person. It's not helpful to say that you're a good person or a bad person, right? Because otherwise, what, like, I'm a bad person, occasionally does good things. I'm a good person, occasionally does bad things. It's like, well, okay, like, first of all, shut up, right? <laughs> well, look, it's like, that's why labels are not helpful, right? Because if you deem yourself, for example, like, I'm, I'm like, you know, whatever, like, my conversion experience, like, 30 years ago, now I'm just, like, Way to die and stay Like if that's Like if that's your, if that's your, your mentality and sense of self-awareness, what'll happen? You'll, you'll overlook areas of your life that you need to work on because I'm good, because I'm fully converted, and what need do I have to like learn more things or change even further? And that's why like even when the workers go to the master and say if you want to uproot the weeds, like the first thing he says before expounding upon it is like, no, any inclination you have to oversimplify like your situation and other people's spiritual journey like no that. There's complexity to this life that um, you're never really going to fully appreciate, even if you want to. Now the parable of the mustard seed, right? Um, this begins a series of parables where it talks about like the kingdom of God emerging from, from small things, right? So first of all this notion of the mustard seed, it's like it's kind of funny, it's, it's not simply a mustard seed, it's like the grain of a mustard seed. So, I have not think you seen pictures of it. Sometimes you see it in, like in, in art, whenever this Sally, uh, this parable comes up in the lectionary, but it's just like, it's like nothing. It's like a chia seed or something. <laughs> and like, you know, if you look, you look quickly, you might miss it. But how big can that mustard shrub grow to? It's like nine or 12 feet. So like, you know, nothing to see, like huge shrub under which people can kind of find shade, right? So, couple things. The first school not, um, dismiss things off because they seem to be kind of insignificant. I'm going to give away, um, part of the weekend homily, I'm going to give a St. James, but we're all friends, right? So, um, so I, I got ordained, like, about 10 years ago or something. And, uh, you know, shortly after one's ordination, you know, people will say, like, oh, what was your favorite part of the ordination? And you want to say, like, the leg wanted hands? you know, because that's when you yeah, actually become a priest, once the speaking, you know? But that's not really my answer. In reality, I have to tell you this, it has nothing to do with the liturgy at all, actually. And so, if you receive ever a priestly ordination, there's like two parts roughly where like, part of it is like you're, you're facing away from the people, and the second half, you're facing the people, right? And so like, in the first part is like, you know, when you get actually ordained, and the second part is when you're facing the people, and you're consecrating the your Chris and you're vested in the priests, and whatever, right? So anyways, I turned around, and my mom had come all the way from Vancouver, and she was of all our relatives, and she was in the front row. And I looked at my mom, right? And she just winked at me. You know? Like super quick. I caught it. She knew I would catch it. And I just sort of bawling. And it wasn't like like a beautiful whimper. It was like a ugly, like snot filled cry. or just like oh, gosh. And it, it just didn't stop, eh? Cause it's like this is like the beginning of like whatever the preface is <laughs> and it went all the way through to the like, giving you know, communion. And it just like this faucet just wouldn't stop going. And um and it, it, the worst part was like no one knew why I was crying. So some like family I'm sure who like aren't really like, grassing I'm sure they thought I suddenly realized oh my goodness I'm a priest and I'm Salva forever and like all of a sudden, this moment has hit me, <laughs> and and people didn't have Kleenex, too, so it made it all the worse. And it's like, how come no one has Kleenex here? What's wrong with you people? And even now, it's like, okay, like, what was that all about? I don't know. <laughs> it's just a beautiful, precious thing. It's just between kind of me and my mom, right? And, you know, it's, it's one of those things, like, like, I'm always resistant to kind of unpack that, because it's like this thing which seems insignificant, but it meant everything. And it's, it's my favorite part of pre ordination, even though I don't tell a lot of people that.